0: What's up, QAA listeners? The fun games have begun. I found a way
1: to connect to the internet. I'm sorry, boy. 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 Welcome, listener, to chapter 143 of the QAnon Anonymous podcast, the Jim Kavizil episode. As always, we are your host, Jake Rogatanski. Dave,
2: yeah, I just cut out for a second.
3: Are you guys still there? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're here. We're here. It's a, no, just it's. A, it's a, do you guys- you just w- say your name. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> this is good, man. We're coming in hot. I'm Dave, I'm Dave Anthony. What the fuck?
3: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Julian Fields. And Travis View. Not all of Hollywood is evil. Some brave souls believing themselves to be sent by God himself are attempting to cleanse this cesspool with fire. Emerging as a poster boy for this righteous movement is actor Jim Caviezel, who played Jesus in Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ, but also acted in movies like Terence Malick's The Thin Red Line, a star-studded production of Wyatt Earp, and The Count of Monte Cristo. Great movie. (laughs) Jake. I spoke to three sources who wished to remain anonymous for fear of retaliation within their industry, and they shared their experiences working on set with the actor over the course of years. So this week we'll be exploring what they had to say to me in the context of a deeper dive into the sacred heart of one Jim Caviezel. Conversely, our guest this week represents the other side of Hollywood, promoting the godless pleasures of socialist hedonism by blending comedy and history in his work. I'm speaking, of course, of Dave Anthony, who you may already know from the Dollop podcast, which he creates with Gareth Reynolds. But what you might not know is that Mr. Anthony has also worked for years in the belly of the Hollywood beast, hovering from set to set, presumably to help with the adrenochrome extraction. Welcome to the show, Dave.
2: Uh, Thank you very much. Uh, And the other thing you can take away from that intro is that I apparently don't care about my career because I am fully on the record on this podcast where the other people are hiding in the fucking shadows. I'm here. I'm here to tell everybody about uh, Adrenochrome and Caviezel and everything we're doing. And we're up to a lot of shit. A lot of good shit.
3: 1968! <laughs> You're of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Jim Caviezel was born in Mount Vernon, Washington, to Margaret, an Irish-American stage actress turned homemaker, and her husband, James Caviezel, a chiropractor of Slovak and Swiss descent. Cavizel was the next to youngest in a Catholic family of five, he was raised with his three older sisters and younger brother in Washington, where he graduated from John F. Kennedy Memorial High School, and ended up at the University of Washington in Seattle. There he grew interested in acting, following in his mother's early footsteps. Jim's first movie-related break came in 1991, when he was offered a minor role in Gus Van Sant's My Own Private Idaho. Now considered a classic of the new queer cinema movement, it stars River Phoenix, rest in peace, and Keanu Reeves as young men living on the street and turning tricks to survive. This appearance earned Jim his Screen Actors Guild card, and he moved to Los Angeles soon after. Despite, quote, how many people thought I was out of my mind, something he chalked up to the fact that, quote, they'd rather compromise instead of following a dream. After a stint in the professional acting program at the University of Southern California, USC, Jim turned down a scholarship offer from the New York-based Juilliard School in order to instead portray the titular character in the 1994 Western biopic Wyatt Earp, which co-stars fixtures like Kevin Costner, Gene Hackman, Catherine O'Hara, Isabella Rossellini, and Tom Sizemore. Jim Caviezel was becoming a thing in Hollywood. After some appearances on TV shows like *Murder She Wrote* and *The Wonder Years*, Jim scored a role in Terrence Malick's 1998 war film *The Thin Red Line*. After being cast to play Cyclops in the 2000 X-Men film, he was forced to drop out due to scheduling conflicts with *Frequency*, a science fiction film he starred in <laughs> alongside Dennis Quaid and Noah Emmerich. Which, by the way, another great movie. terrible what choice of his part. It's not a good movie. It's an
1: insane. It's a
2: fucking insane movie.
1: Wait, am I am I thinking of the right one? Where it's like uh, they're tra- time traveling through a radio.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
4: yeah. <laughs> great, great movie. Yeah. Well, if Jake I don't says think it's you good. know what great means.
2: <laughs>
1: no, I no, I don't. That's that's a that's a fact of the that show that I I tend to situation. gravitate towards absolute filth um, yeah, cinema. <laughs> but that's okay. That's okay. I'm open
3: about it. You know. Although Jim made appearances in several other films during this period, it was his titular role in 2002's The Count of Monte Cristo that caught the attention of Mel Gibson, who was looking for someone to play Jesus in The Passion of the Christ, which he was directing. Both Mel Gibson and Jim Caviezel viewed the project as a death sentence for their careers in Hollywood. Here's from a HuffPo article in 2011.
2: Jim Caviezel told an audience at the First Baptist Church of Orlando on Saturday that Gibson begged him to reconsider taking the gig. He said, you'll never work in this town again. Kavizel remembered. I told him, we all have to embrace our crosses. Oh, fuck, man. (laughs) Caviezel (laughs) recounted a similar story in 2004 when he spoke of the encounter in an interview with the 700 Club which not a lot of Hollywood actors do on a, on a press uh, junket. No. Hosted by uh, T. Evangelist Pat Robertson. The next day, he said, I want you to be aware of what you are going to go through. You may never work again. He said that several times publicly, I told him, Mel, this is what I believe. We all have a cross to carry. I have to carry my own cross. If we don't carry our crosses, we are going to be crushed under the weight of it. So let's go and do it. And we began the film. He's he's uh, not being literal; like he's actually, he's not being figurative. He's talking about actually carrying a fucking cross. That's what
0: the movie
2: is. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Also, it's a bizarre, confused metaphor because didn't Jesus carry the cross that executed him? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Light. there's that. There's- yeah, so so <laughs> well, that's, that's the re- end result of carrying your cross. You, you're, you, you are crushed with it.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole purpose of carrying the cross is to crush you and break you as you walk down the
4: street. Did
3: I not tell you that at the end of this episode we will be executing Jim Caviezel?
2: Holy <laughs> shit. This is going to be the best podcast that's ever <laughs>
4: happened.
3: <laughs> On the set of The Passion, Jim allegedly dislocated his shoulder, caught pneumonia, and was struck by lightning multiple times. Among other Wait. physical discomforts.
2: <laughs> what? Uh, I'm sorry. You said, um, it just sounded like the words you said. It's uh, struck by lightning several <laughs> times.
1: <laughs> yes. Multiples. Yeah. multiple At verified. least twice.
3: Like you'd think they made it up, but it apparently is verified by many people who were on the crew that day. So, Jake, could you just take the lines that uh, Jim had in an interview he, where he explained it? I climbed the mountain. Clouds had formed. And five seconds before the strike, I had
1: felt what was going to happen. It was windy, but I couldn't hear the wind blowing. Suddenly, I was struck by the lightning. I was terrified, but at the same time, I felt peace on the inside. Before it all happened, Mel had shouted, Action! And the cameras were directed at me. It was the moment I was struck. Afterwards, I heard Mel shouting, What the hell has happened to his hair?
2: It was funny. <laughs> yeah. <okay. laughs> It was funny. I mean, it was just one of those funny lightning strikes. Thinking yeah, you, funny
1: set. You know, you, funny set <laughs> thing.
2: You you do feel it before it comes because that's how electricity works. Mm-hmm. It's not just as lightning comes down and hits you like a branch. <laughs> like it, the right. the air is is being like powered up, sort of. Yeah, and then yeah. of course he felt it on the inside because his heart probably stopped. <laughs> <laughs> It's just a medical thing. It's a medical situation. But thank God someone was there to go. Oh, his mm-hmm. hair is f- fucked.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know what Mel Gibson's worried about? He's like, oh, Jesus Christ is going to ruin the tape. I got to get hair <laughs> and makeup back in there.
2: If I'm if I'm working on a film and it's about uh, Jesus Christ and I get hit by lightning,
4: <laughs>
2: I'm taking that as like a hey, stop doing this fucking movie. Like that's yeah. yeah. Like if there's any sign that that. A power wants you to stop (laughs) Mm -hmm. doing something. It's being hit by lightning. Like, that's the number one. Mm
3: -hmm. Wrap it up, dude. From the 2011 HuffPo article again.
0: Still, he seems to have no regrets. Quote, We have to give up our names, our reputations, our lives to speak the truth. Cavizio reasoned to the audience. In the 700 Club interview, Cavizio gave more insight into his reasons for doing the film. I
1: felt like a great presence came within me at times when we were filming. This prayer that came from me was, quote, I don't want people to see me, I want them to see Jesus, and through that, conversions will happen. That's what I wanted more than anything, that people would have a visceral effect to finally make a decision whether to follow
3: him, with a capital H, or not. Him and Mel are kind of around this period pretending that they're destroying their careers. They're never going to work again. They're putting it all up there for Jesus. And of course, it was just not true. By 2011, director and writer Jonathan Nolan, with J.J. Abrams among the producers, hired Jim Caviezel to star in Person of Interest, a science fiction series that would run for five seasons on CBS. In it, Jim portrays ex-CIA agent and ex-Green Beret John Reese, who works with Harold Finch, played by Michael Emerson, the developer of a computer program for the federal government dubbed The Machine. It is able to process sources of information and identify people planning terrorist acts. Ethical issues around The Machine are central to the series, which sees Caviezel fed Social Security numbers of persons of interest to investigate. In the long run, the machine becomes sentient and begins acting to preserve itself, exploring a new set of ethical questions. Person of Interest won the 2012 People's Choice Award for Favorite New TV Drama and the 2016 People's Choice Award for Favorite TV Crime Drama. Jim explained how he chooses these roles in another interview with The 700 Club.
5: I look for redeemable stories. Red- uh, look. There's something moving about a character who finds himself in a very negative situation um, and trying to turn and find the positive, or finding himself in the darkness by the choices he's made, and suddenly says, you know what, I can't do this anymore. Now the character I play, John Reese, and Person of Interest, wouldn't say he is in any way in the light yet. He's still trying to find that way, but how many of us are, are looking for it, and God needs people to be those um, beacons of light.
3: This is the period of Jim Caviezel's career, his stint on person of interest from 2011 to 2016 that I'll be focusing on in this episode because the people I spoke to worked with him during this period. Over the last month, I spoke to three different sources who, like I said, wish to remain anonymous due to fears of retaliation within the industry. All three worked with Jim Caviezel on the set of person of interest for multiple years, and they described their interactions with Jim in detail. I'll be using verbatim quotes from my Skype interviews with them. There were several reasons I ended up speaking to these sources. One is Jim's portrayal of Tim Ballard in Sound of Freedom, an upcoming movie lionizing the Q-adjacent anti-child trafficking organization that Ballard tastelessly dubbed Project Underground Railroad. The other is that Jim Caviezel appeared at the QAnon Health and Freedom Conference over Zoom and promoted the adrenochrome conspiracy theory to a delighted audience
1: tim you're playing you're playing the, the role of tim ballard and uh, uh tim is actually continuing to save kids i mean this you're making a movie about it but this is what he does and he um he, uh,
5: exactly. he, a, he was supposed to be in the room with me and, uh in right here or in tulsa but he's down there saving children as we speak because they're pulling kids out of the darkest recesses of hell right now and dumbs and all kinds of places uh The adrenochroming of children.
3: That immediately led to a follow-up by the incredibly eager uh, presenter at this uh, Big QAnon conference.
5: You said said a word a minute ago, and I want to clarify what that word was, because you said a word.
1: And I want to make sure that you said adrenochrome. Yeah. And a lot of people here, there's about 4,500 people here. There's uh, about
5: a half million people streaming online. We're having some cyber attacks. That feed's been going on and off. It's it's a, but you said that word, and by yeah. a show of hands, who's heard that word before in this building? Could you please explain to the extent that you want to or not want to what that is? Because some people have never heard that before, and we need to discuss that. Uh, ad- ad- essentially, you have adrenaline in your body. I'll just simplify it, and and when you are scared, you produce adrenaline. Uh, if you're an athlete you get in the fourth quarter you have adrenaline that comes out of you if a child knows he's going to die uh, his body will uh, secrete this uh, adrenaline um, and they have a lot of terms that they use that he takes me through but um, it's the worst horror i've ever seen is screaming alone even if i never ever 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 saw it Uh, it, it's, it's it's beyond and these people that do it um there'll be no mercy for them um it's uh this is one of the best films i've ever done in my life um the film is on a level of of academy award um (laughs) level
2: it would have been so great if they've asked him what it was and he goes all right so we got to go way back. Have you heard of the protocols of the elder Isaiah? <laughs> just goes like, There's all Jew hating that we've been doing for so- centuries.
3: Holy shit. But not only that, but he kind of like mentions they brought me through it, which yeah. I, am, I can only assume means he learned this bullshit from Tim Ballard, the founder of Operation Underground yeah. Railroad, which I'll, I'll be saying, O.U.R. from here on out, which purports to fight child trafficking on a global scale. So here's a quick rundown of this guy. In the past, the pro-MAGA and devoutly Mormon Tim Ballard has used conspiracy theories to build support for OUR, including the idea that Wayfair is trafficking children through their furniture website. Ballard publicly claims to be ex and Homeland Security and was appointed by Donald Trump to the, quote, Public-Private Partnership Advisory Council to End Human Trafficking. People close to the operation have been speaking to the media for years about O.U.R.'s lack of credibility and effectiveness, one time even relying on a supposedly clairvoyant woman from Utah to locate non-existent trafficked children abroad. When their operations are quote-unquote successful, they go on to claim they saved the children involved and add them to their tally of successes, which is now supposedly above 4,000. But in one case in the Dominican Republic, the 26 girls they quote-unquote rescued were released in less than a week after the raids because the resources to house them and provide aftercare were non-existent. In fact, Tim Ballard is known for strolling into foreign towns with an armed entourage and camera crew seeking photo ops with random children, and even his raids are usually later misinterpreted in their PR materials. In one case, for example, the supposed freed child had actually escaped her captors on her own, and OUR took credit for the rescue anyways. OUR is, by the way, also under investigation in the state of Utah, and Davis County attorney Troy Rawlings has warned people about, quote, any individual entity or organization who solicits your money and may be claiming credit for work to protect children that is actually done by our task force and or other law enforcement organizations in Utah and around the world. Just because someone claims they were called by God when asking for your money does not necessarily mean they actually are. So... (laughs) This is the guy who's about to get a biopic about how fucking awesome he is. Like, it just... I, I really hope there's a scene in it where he's, like, talking to the medium that he met in Utah who said she, like, did a remote viewing and found the children in a foreign village. They, of course, went there and there was nobody. So he just wandered around taking photos with people. I mean, just every story that comes out of this guy is just insane.
2: And, of course, they, you know, it's a foreign village, so... I assume no one is speaking English in that no. village, so they can say whatever in the fuck they want yeah. mm-hmm. about those people, and there's no one to go. No, that's not what happened. That's not what's happening. This is just <laughs> our kids in our village. We, we we lived here forever.
3: Yeah. All right. We're about to get to the meat of uh, the matter. Enter the Cavortex. A tall, blonde, light-eyed man who has told the Mormon press that he was sent by God to save the children. It's really no surprise that Jim Caviezel is going to be playing Ballard in Sound of Freedom and seems to have absorbed some of his QAnon related ideas about child trafficking. My sources expressed a universal lack of surprise at Caviezel's QAnon turn. They described the man profoundly consumed by a jumble of bizarre religious, military, and nationalistic fixations, which we'll be exploring in a moment. A name was even coined on set for the recurring experience of being cornered by a barely coherent Jim. <laughs> the Cavortex. <laughs> One source explained, It's just him soft talking about three inches from your face. Total stream of consciousness, but not a consciousness that was going in a linear fashion. Meanwhile, I have a walkie on all the time, so somebody's talking to me in this ear, and I can't hear him. A colleague would have to come pull me out all the time. I have never had a real conversation with him in years of working together. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> so I've had that experience at like a college party before, but like not like yes. with with someone I'm working with.
2: But this is so Hollywood because these, these people get to keep succeeding, even though everyone's like, no one wants to work with them because no one on the set is making the decision. It's just a, no. a producer and a guy who's like, this guy means X amount of dollars, so we'll put him in a movie no matter what. And then you just get these fucking lunatics. This is what Travolta was apparently like, and this is what Tom Cruise is like. It's all the same shit. It's just conspiracy lunatics who no one ever says no to. Yeah. You're just over at craft services, and you, and you grab a couple of uh, red twists. <laughs> you cram one in your mouth, and a dude walks over, and he goes, do you know what happens to babies when they're really, really scared? <laughs> like, what? Are you the lead? Yeah. OK, so they get scared, and then you take their blood. Yeah, and you you can't say anything because no. he's the lead, and you're like, I don't want to lose my job. I'm just a, a yeah. fucking grip here. Mm-hmm. And if I say, like, yeah. hey, fucking weirdo, get the fuck away from me, then everyone's <laughs> yeah. going to go, oh, we can't have him around. The normal one, the normal guy we can't have around because the crazy guy gets to do whatever he
3: wants. Sources were remarkably frank about Jim's inability to communicate with people around him. Quote, the thing you have to know about Jim, candidly, is that he's one of the stupidest people you will ever meet. <laughs> He is not... He is not smart. I pray for him that he never winds up in a paper bag because he will be stuck and he will die.
0: <laughs> this is amazing reporting, Julian.
3: Stupid Stupid is not a word I super throw around. He's just not a bright guy. It was like working with a dog.
2: Holy <laughs> shit. I mean, that's isn't that the feeling you get when you see an interview with him like he's just mm-hmm. really really dumb yeah. Yeah, and that's pretty- the, that's the other cool thing about hollywood you can be dumb as fuck and mm-hmm. just have a great <laughs> great career as an actor
1: or anything a writer a <laughs> yeah. producer. i mean whatever you want wherever you wherever you you if you stay long enough wherever you end up there's space for you yep. Always. well once
3: you once you start, like once you've embarked on a uh, something like making a, a TV show like Person of Interest, there's like two hundred people on board with an ongoing project. And replacing the lead in the first season will destroy that project. So everyone is kind of like emperor's no clothes until you get to the you know the secured mm-hmm. second season, and then you're caught in a fucking endless cycle.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, once you're locked into a show, you know, there's there's ninety, hundred people that all have jobs and are are paying for their mortgages and their car payments and everything else based on this dude not being crazy. I mean. If, yeah. if word of what he is gets out, it could ruin mm-hmm. your. And then you have to try to find a new job and scramble, and you're on pilots, and then another pilot, another pilot. You get something stable. You're like, I will totally just accept the Holocaust denying guy because I just need, I just need a job.
3: yeah another source described him as quote a very broken-brained childlike person who is fundamentally super religious so whatever childlike understanding he has of religion I think he thinks he's a loving person he is not he is filled with hatred of other over the course of his five years with person of interest Jim lost multiple privileges on set due to his behavior one source described a shoot which involved Kvizel driving a car
1: we were shooting in Midtown we were at Third Avenue right by Smith and Walensky's and we had a pull up with him in a car And generally, if an actor has a driver's license and it's not a stunt pull-up, you have the actor do the action. And he, in Manhattan, blew a red light and nearly hit four or five pedestrians, not with the production at all, because he's like, no, that's what my character would have done. I would have come in hot. And I was like, this is 100% illegal and completely dangerous, and that was the day we banned him for the next two and a half years from ever driving a moving vehicle no matter what can't pull out of a parking spot in a parking garage because he would just get in this mindset and do things that were extremely dangerous to the crew, to the people around us, to the cast. Like, just not okay.
3: Yeah, so I, he can't drive.
2: So he, But so what does that mean he thinks of what his character is? Like, I, I mean, he, he, ex- these. Ex-
3: they all described him not understanding that he wasn't his character doing the thing when he was in the scene. Like, he would not... <laughs>
2: But that means, he's literally saying that his character just gets to drive over people. He's like, well, this is what my character would do. No, yeah. then, then the show would just be you driving around killing people all the time. Well, it's not a well, good show.
3: Will, yeah, we'll, we'll find out how that's exactly what he wanted to do, is kill more people. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to kill people a lot on this show. That's definitely a thing. Another source described the situation that developed around Boker, the dog Jim was tasked to act with. Quote, oh the dog that we had on this show was way, way easier to work with than Jim. And the dog bit Jim, actually, and we had to replace the dog. Because Jim, and this is a trained Belgian Malinois who does, like, takedowns and stuff, Boker was the dog's name, and Jim kept on yanking on Boker's leash after he was told not to, and the dog bit him. Then we got another dog and painted its chest white.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So he's literally like a a four-year-old that you're like, stop doing that with the dog. Stop doing that with the dog. Stop doing that with the
3: dog. And he managed to get the dog so pissed off at him that he bit him. And then they replaced the dog because they couldn't replace Jim.
1: (laughs) So sad. So sad.
3: Uh, Everything that's wrong with Hollywood. It, really? Yeah.
0: yeah. It sounds like the dog was a more productive member of that set. Yeah.
3: He also, <laughs> uh, after that, uh, Jim was no longer uh, allowed to handle any dogs. And and also, let's say he j- he just I-, I assume the
2: way this works with most uh, most of these uh, animal wranglers is. This is a person who who makes their living off of Boker and Boker had a regular fucking gig. Yep. So he just got a person that we were like we were talking about, a guy who works on the set or a woman mm-hmm. who works on the set now doesn't have a job. It wasn't yeah. that the dog got fired. That that's like a person's yeah. living. So that person yes, is now scrambling after having yeah. thought what they thought was a gig until mm-hmm. this yeah. fucking idiot kept pulling on on the leash. And Screaming about baby's blood
3: the previous two stories were corroborated by all three sources who also explained to me How Jim's relationship to violence and firearms got him in trouble. Here's from one source. He was obsessed with Navy SEALs
2: He was obsessed with guns. He always wanted to shoot people and kill people (laughs) Which was not a thing. I'm sorry in the context of his character He was a hero and it was also a gun-heavy show and Reese his character would shoot people in the knee he was not a go for the head, go for the chest guy, but Jim really wanted to, like, kill people. <laughs> <laughs> as as Jesus would have done. Jesus, yeah, of course. <laughs> a huge fuck. Jesus was like, who do I get to kill now?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Jesus, you would shoot this man in the knee. <laughs> no,
2: I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> so he, I mean, we're... Going back to who this guy was, uh, the character that he was playing, ex-CIA, right, and ex-something mm-hmm. else, ex-Green uh, Beret. Green Beret. So he just thinks this guy kills people. He, he, he has the understanding yeah. of a five-year-old. Oh, he's a, yeah. he's a, he's a shoot-boom-boom boom guy. Yeah. He, he, he <laughs> killed many in a wet uh, green land, and now mm-hmm. I am that guy. I
3: shoot-kill people. He loved the the uh, uh, SEALs so much that he thought he was part of them. He kept talking about how he trained oh. with them and had friends among the Navy SEALs. And uh, so people would kind of, it was a running joke uh, that he that he thought he was a SEAL and that he had stickers on every one of his different vehicles to show that he was like supporting the Navy SEALs.
2: And, and telling people that he was a SEAL, right? I'm, Just, I'm basically
3: a SEAL. But I mean, yeah, it, basically he would tell, I'm, I'm basically, I mean, I trained with them, you know?
2: I got, it's known as Hollywooded in. I got Hollywooded in. And yeah. uh, I didn't have to go through the main training.
1: I wonder if uh, going through the thin red lines so early in his career, like locked him into this idea that he actually was a soldier and that he had served in World War II in the Guadalcanal. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Apparently he trained uh, with the Navy SEALs for real for a Ridley Scott film at some point. So he that's where that story comes from. Uh. But yes, he probably also thought he was a, a veteran of... Vietnam, why not? I mean he certainly confuses himself with Jesus a lot uh seemingly that's um, easy to do if yeah you live, I think if you
2: live in the life that he is
3: there uh, was a line it's... I could yeah like I didn't get it in, but it was like someone telling me that he once told the showrunner that he was technically Jesus <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's a yeah, hard conversation
3: yeah. to have as the shell runner. <laughs> Technically, <laughs> yeah. uh, another source explained that Jim's fixation extended to torture as well. He always wanted Reese to torture people to be cruel. He would be like, "I have a great idea.
0: You're going to love this," despite us not loving the past a hundred ideas. And he'd be like, "What if I put the gun up his nose?" And it would be like, "No, man, we're not doing that." Jim's not a guy that does a lot of planning or thinking ahead. It would be like on the day I'm seeing this, I'm thinking it, I'm here. And what if I, you know, strangle this person? What if I killed them? What if I put their face in the water and held them down? Never mind it's a real actor who's being put through this. It's a real human being who is just being paid to do a job. Again, it's that almost fabulous, not connected to reality, understanding of what's going on. There was no difference for Jim between an actor or a prop. They were all there to be as toys, you know? We had to stop using even blanks in the guns. We were like, no more. No more blanks. No more anything. We'll do it all in VFX. That made Jim mad. <laughs>
3: So they took away. Why
2: don't my guns go bang anymore? (laughs) They took away
3: his bang bangs. Another another source (laughs) described how bad the situation got. Quote, similarly to the Blanks, if he had any sort of long arm in his hand, so a larger piece of metal during a fight, we would put a balaclava on him so we could just stunt double him. Because we didn't trust him to have this chunk of metal in his hands and do a fight.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. Just,
3: just a liability. Just a horrible person to work with. He sounds, honestly, he sounds I like mean, what he, Ultimate Warrior was in, like, the uh, pro wrestling. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, what's
2: his name? Lenny from a Mice and Men? He, <laughs> he's just, th- like, this just sounds like it's just a really dumb person. And you're like, I mean, it's a cliche, but nothing sharp, nothing around Jim that Jim can hurt mm-hmm. people with
1: which is, by the way, like this is the worst scenario for any kind of co-star or supporting oh. actor on any situation because you've got a guy who you have no idea how far they're going to take it. They, they could actually hurt you, and you can't say anything because they're the lead. If you make a right. fuss or whatever and upset the lead, that's your job on the yeah. line, and it's near fucking impossible to get an acting job on a professional set anyway, mm-hmm. so you're basically walking into each one of these scenes going like... I hope he doesn't kill me today.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. I, like, I, I, that would be the person with the most stories, is whoever the co-star was. Yeah. Who would just, I mean, the stories that would mm-hmm. come out of that person, because th- that person would truly be scared, I and mean, then you can't really act in that environment. if no. if, you're, if your co-star is like, hey, I was just thinking about this I was thinking about this scene, and I know we're, we're talking about our moms, but I thought I could take it up a notch, and I just start sodomizing you with a gun, <laughs> and you're like, wait, what's... What's happening? Jim, your ideas don't really yeah, work no, it's here. Not... He's like, I don't know. It's more it's more personal. <laughs> it, it, it's just got to be like constant that yeah. because this is a fucking
3: maniac. Yeah. Eventually, in the last couple of seasons, most scenes involving any violence saw Jim's character wear a balaclava so they'd be able to employ a stunt double instead of him. This was for good reason. All my sources corroborated a story about Jim working with Clark Peters, Lester, from The Wire. In the scene, Caviezel was supposed to be interviewing Peter's character, who was tied to a chair and ostensibly unconscious. But Caviezel veered off script, putting Peters in a headlock and dragging him by his head as the chair skidded across the room. And this is not an isolated incident. Stories of Jim Caviezel choking one actor, slamming another's head into a mantle above a fireplace, and punching a third in the face were common knowledge on set. They consistently triggered human relations issues and arguments among crew leadership. One source explained, It was just over and over again. It's like having a puppy. No, No, you can't chew on that. No, you can't chew on that. No, you can't chew on that. Except the puppy talks about Hitler.
5: <laughs>
4: <laughs>
3: In not a completely unfavorable light, is the end of that quote. Mm. We'll come back to that Hitler comment in a moment. Although his behavior and opinions got him in a lot of trouble, some aspects of working alongside Jim were just frustrating for the crew. By season two, one source described the system they used to help Jim with his lines, which he consistently forgot. So literally every single scene, we gave him cards with just his lines, numbered, nobody else's lines. And he would just kind of cup them in his hand. If you watch the show, you can see him look down constantly. Holy shit! (laughs) Wow.
2: I mean, that's like what Brando did, but you're just bad mm-hmm. at it. Like, yeah, no, he doesn't. <laughs> this is, oh my, like how yeah. fucking lazy. Mm-hmm. You you have one job to do, but he's sorry. He's he's off talking to a grip about Hitler right now, so he can't mm-hmm. study his no, lines. yep. Oh my that's god. Pretty
3: much, yep. That's yeah.
1: You're describing the set. This is the most fucked up thing about about Hollywood is that like every. Every other character on the show from like a co-star probably to like background, they all know their lines. Like the people who are getting paid the least know their shit the best. And the fucking guy who's making millions upon millions and getting fucking residuals and back and all that shit is literally just having his shit written on note cards so he can like look down. It's infuriating. He would
3: tell people uh, that he was good at improvising but had memory (laughs) problems. And, uh, and explained various different scenarios in which he got brain damage. One of them was a supposed accident during his uh, years playing uh, sports in college, I believe. Another one was a motorcycle accident. But all of them amount to like him saying, I have brain damage. I was hit by lightning. Like All these different things that have happened to him in his life.
2: But that shit, you, if you're an actor, that's like saying, hey, I can't yeah. really do my job. Uh, yep. here's a bunch of reasons why. <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, mm-hmm. I would like to work here. And yeah, like, you should do a different job. Yeah. <laughs> no, you, your your one job is to remember lines and say them. Mm-hmm. You can't be like, no, I, I got hit by a bat when I was in the jungle. Did I tell you that I'm a Green Beret? Yeah. Have you have, have you heard of Green Berets for Hitler? It's a thing.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Green Berets for a reexamination of Hitler's uh, catalogue of ideas. Like it's that it's that kind of subtlety that he would lend to it. All three sources corroborated a story about Jim growing angry when, in one scene, he wasn't provided a card. The crew told him what his line was and explained that they didn't want to insult his intelligence by printing one up. Jim insisted, and they relented. He was handed a small card with a single line on it. No. No, it can't be a thing. This can't be a thing. I was shown this card by... (laughs) (laughs) I was shown this... Oh my god! He's like a, a fucking cabbage! Like, he's not even a human being! <laughs> he got pissed, furious. I want the card that says no! <laughs> <laughs> Another source explained they once saw Jim saying the same line wrong a different way in 15 different takes. He could not remember his lines to save his life. One day he was actually doing a good job of one of his speeches, and then they called cut, and the actor turned and we saw Jim's short slides, which were a piece of 8.5 by 11 cut in half. He had taped his lines to this other actor's face. No. No, I mean... <laughs> Can you imagine? You're on the crew and you just see the other actor turn, and you, or you see, like, the reverse <laughs> shot, and they've got Jim's lines taped. Oh, fuck. I mean... Once the the writers who had to work directly with Jim figured out how he was, like, they would write shorter and shorter lines for him. Yes. uh, Obviously. (laughs) And apparently there was this story that also didn't make it in where he couldn't get, look, it's a drone. And he just kept saying, look, it's a clone. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. As as a writer who has written on
2: shows, you you begin writing Mm -hmm. for that actor. Like, I've... I have worked with an actor who was a lead who had been hit in the head and did have memory problems and we didn't find out till halfway through the season but was totally ashamed of it and had like a massive breakdown it's just like uh, you know I'm having a real hard time so you you try to work with that person other actors just don't want to read the lines so you just start making what they say less and less and less until you're putting no on a card and going god I hope he nails this
1: <laughs> or in some cases yeah. they're so fucked That you just change the script afterwards so that it fucking matches whatever the thing they ended up fucking saying is. And the the worst thing about all this is that every time, you know, the 15, 17 takes where he's looking up in the sky and going, look, a clone or you know whatever this is like people are like now late for supper like you can't go home yeah. to like be with your family like so many so many nights you'll you'll go till two or three in the fucking morning especially if it's a fucking night shoot and everybody's just praying that, that, the, that the guy who's making the most money on set the guy who's making ten times what your salary is can fucking remember his three sentence line so that you can mm-hmm. like go home because you've got to be up uh, you know your call is at like 8am the next day it's just ah uh, it, it's it's abusive it's it's is what it is
2: it is i had one day where I, on Merriman i could not remember my lines and i had a huge scene and i felt so fucking bad you just feel like shit but there are so many people like jim who just don't give a fuck
3: yeah they just don't <laughs> care yeah so let's get back to the hitler stuff Uh, All of my sources were adamant in their claims that Jim Caviezel often brought up the genocidal German leader. One source explained...
2: He would talk about
3: how Hitler was very organized
2: and regimented and intelligent and he had like a really smart plan. (laughs) A
1: different source told me... He's definitely one of those guys who would say like, Hitler did have some interesting ideas. He's one of those guys. He's not smart, so he's fascinated, like Trump. Uh, There's no difference in his mind between leadership and power. Anyone who's powerful must also be smart and right. So he's just the kind of brain that's ripe for fascist thinking. We had to have his agent tell him to stop bringing up Hitler on set. I think, mo- I think more than once we had to call his agent and say, Jim cannot talk to people about Hitler.
3: Oh, the amount of times the, the, the crew would look over to the craft table, see Jim there and go, fuck, I got to wait to eat. Because I can't. A hundred percent. I can't go into 100%, the cou- pe- vortex. The,
2: the number of times a, a guy didn't go to the bathroom because Jim went in first. Yes. Like, it's just, it's just a, a nightmare of scenarios yeah. like that.
0: He liked to talk about how Hitler was like a really great military mind, but he was evil. But that's how he would couch it. And then, oh God, he would do like Hitler impressions on set. Just kind of like using his fingers to do the mustache, walking around and speaking, just being weird. He wouldn't be saying anything of substance, which is the difficult thing about Jim. Is he a child or is he a vicious lunatic? I don't know.
2: Think of all your fucking stereotypes about Hollywood, about how it's this uh, Jewish controlled blah blah blah, and yet this is allowed to exist, yeah. which just shows you that Hollywood actually has no morals and mm-hmm. doesn't care about yeah. anything yeah. whatsoever. Because this is, this is a guy walking around doing Hitler impressions and gets to keep his fucking job. Yeah. Yeah, Think yeah. about Constantly.
1: any other fucking job in the world that would allow somebody to... Con- if you, you work at McDonald's, you start walking around, you're flipping the fries, you're doing Hitler impressions, you get fired.
3: I thought of it, Jake. Being Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's I the mean, only other it job. Is,
2: <laughs> it is the one impression you don't get yeah, to do. You can't do it's it, man. the one thing. Like, oh, Jim's doing his Hitler <laughs> <hair> again. <laughs> Here he goes. Jimmy. Uh, yeah, do the, he's doing the mustache. Oh. <laughs> oh, I
3: love it. You see, you're looking over to the craft table and he's doing the Hitler walk in front of the table. like, God damn it. I'm not going to fucking eat today, am I? <laughs> Oh, and now you're like, how did he and Mel Gibson
2: get along? I can't (laughs) can't understand. What could have possibly happened there? They love each other. So another source told me... Oh, he loved to do Hitler impressions. He did them all the time. I also had more than one cast member because he would frequently do a Hitler impression in the hair and makeup trailer, who came to me very uncomfortable. Like, is this... What is this? It's it's not funny. What is happening here? Does he believe this? So that was a pretty constant issue.
3: All my sources confirmed that he once screamed at a coworker over a perceived scheduling mistake related to a Porsche Jim was supposed to drive in a scene. He accused her of lying, which she wasn't, and told her she needed to repent for her sin. All my sources confirmed that the crew member in question was also constantly undermined by Caviezel due to her gender. Religious extremism was a big source of frustration for the anonymous crew members I spoke to. They all described Jim ranting about his beliefs, including his anti-abortion stance, anti-LGBTQ stance, and a strange fixation with identifying Jewish people. This isn't hugely surprising considering his association with Mel Gibson and their collaborative portrayal of the Passion of the Christ, which was, you know, criticized for its representation of Jewish people. To give us an idea of how Caviezel thinks in this area, we can rely on a 2017 article in right-wing Polish newspaper Uw where he compares his work as an actor to that of Polish Pope John Paul II. <laughs> so I'll play the interviewer, and Jake, can you take Caviezel? Of course. John Paul II was an actor just like you. Therefore, he knew the power of art better than any of his predecessors. Exactly.
1: Now, this is where his power came from. He understood the people, and it helped him win over the hearts of millions. He's simply a saint.
3: You were 33 years old, your initials were JC, and you played
1: Jesus. Don't tell me it was a coincidence. There are no coincidences. I keep hearing about accidents and strokes of luck. Secularization affects the entire world as well as the USA. Only atheists believe in coincidence. There are no coincidences for God. Even when God resurrects the dead, they will say it happened by accident.
3: Maybe this is the reason why they killed God, like Nietzsche. When there is no God, they can do what they want. We can see that in America every day. It's even more visible in Europe. The founding fathers of America could not imagine it without God. The French Revolution started with killing the priests and spitting on Jesus. But let's go back to Hollywood and your work. Quote, you will not work here anymore. Mel Gibson told you that when you took up the role in his film. To what extent was he right? All of a sudden, I
1: stopped being one of five most popular actors in the studio, and I haven't done anything wrong. I just played Jesus. Was I personally affected by this rejection? Well, everyone has their cross to bear. The world changes in a particular direction, but after all, I will not be in this world forever. Neither will the producers from Hollywood. At some point, everyone will have to answer for what they've done. My friend, who is evangelical, asked me once why I don't reach out to Jesus directly, but I follow Mary instead. I think it's a valuable question. And then I didn't know how to respond to him. However, looking at John Paul II, I found the answer. That's why Poland, like no other country, is tied closely to Jesus. You bond east and west together. The devil hates it, although he is already lost. Jesus and Mary have already crushed him. A single Polish person crushed communism. How did John Paul II achieve this? With love. The Pope always called young people to break away from contaminated and immoral civilization. Be a saint, he said. Impossible? It is doable. I often hear the voice of Christ in my heart. Jim, you will manage today. It is a message saying that everyone in the world is equally important. It is also an appeal for a Christian life, life in which one demonstrates to everyone they come across that Jesus is their Lord. I remember the Pope saying to Americans, you can all be saints. It makes me sad to think that so many people in my country do not seek sainthood. They substitute it with drugs and hedonism. It is simply filling the emotional void.
3: And one of the shittier effects of his ex- like extreme religious beliefs was that he would not be afraid to express prejudice against gay people to his coworkers who by the way you know according to them about 50% of the writers room was gay or lgbtq and uh, Jim didn't really know that, and they didn't want to share it with him, but he would just constantly grandstand about this stuff. There's this incredibly specific situation, and all three people describe this, a situation where Jim was being tasked with saving a gay couple from a dangerous situation. So this is the script of the episode, and he just refuses on moral grounds. And at the time he explained that he believed they were, that the couple were sinners, and thus should be allowed to die. That's, and then he threatened to refuse to do the episode, Then he had this huge extended argument with the showrunners, during which he was politely explained that during 9-11, an event that Jim had expressed much reverence for, the firefighters who Uh. went into the building did not ask the people they were saving what their sexual orientation or religion was. (laughs) Jim uh, Jim appeared to begrudgingly understand, and was later heard on set saying something to the effect of, even if a person was a transvestite, I would save them, because that's what the firefighters did on 9-11.
2: Oh, so, wow. this is so Trumpian, right? It He's just, so you fucking you dumb. take the last thing that was told to you, and now you're walking around <laughs> yes. battling it. Yes. It's just amazing. They're just so fucking dumb.
3: As a result of his behavior, the crew organized themselves to film any scenes, including gay romance, when Kvizel was not present on set at all. All of them told me they felt Kvizel was homophobic and believed members of the LGBTQ community were going to hell. One of the weird, there were like a a range of different coverages of Caviezel. He'd obviously go to like his more extreme religious or right-wing outlets for the Puff pieces. But there are these like weird semi-sympathetic pieces like Charlotte O'Sullivan wrote uh, for the UK paper The Independent in 2002, which I guess is is right-wing, but it's a very bizarre tone she takes here. He talks about his recent reconversion during the shooting of Monte Cristo. He'd been feeling unhappy and overwhelmed by his work schedule, so his wife arranged for him to meet a visionary. And while they were praying together, the Virgin Mary came into the room. Sure. Caviezel says that for two weeks afterwards, he was able to pray from his heart. It was the most beautiful thing, he says, with a hiccup of pleasure. <laughs> She's like, oh, he's hiccuping with the pleasure of his words. Quote, if you talk to young men these days about being priests, they say, oh, God, I, w- I wouldn't be able to have sex. Forget it. But this, I don't want to make this sound disgraceful to God, but it's like an orgasm that the Holy Spirit gives you. What? (laughs) Yeah, he came spiritually when the Virgin Mary appeared, I guess during his shooting of Monte Cristo. So Caviezel gets very animated when talking about, quote, the flesh. For one love scene in Monte Cristo, he and his co-star were required to appear topless. So he asked asked that she put something between her breasts and his chest. She made pasties out of her flesh-colored underwear. If it is embarrassing for people on set, he says, without prompting. If they think you're a wimp, that you're an embarrassment, talking this way, well, I'd rather be embarrassed before the whole country than before God. I think men need to take the lead on these things. If I say to my wife, Carrie, honey, I'm going to do a love scene today, but uh, I'm not going to sleep with this girl. I'm not going to allow her to put her breasts upon my skin. He touches his chest reverentially. Because I see that as only for you. Does that offend you? He fixes his eyes on me. Do you think she would be offended by that? I don't think so. But yet he's willing to run over
1: four <laughs> pedestrians, yeah. choke a dog out, fucking drag, a, you know, a guy
3: across the floor in well, a headlock. Not oh, only, but yeah. God
1: forbid uh, th- 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 that he feel a, a real experience of of intimacy. What a yeah. fucking God damn it!
3: There's a rumor <laughs> that he got an erection during a love scene once yeah. with Jennifer Lopez and had to stop, uh, like, basically stop the scene. And after that, I guess he was just freaked out of maybe just getting a boner because, like you said, it's it's fucking uh, of mice and men. Like this is Lenny. He's just up oh, now. I got a boner. Up oh, yeah. now. I almost kill people. If you don't, if you're doing a love scene with Jennifer Lopez and you
2: don't get a boner, then God is <laughs> fucking up big time. It's like- a sign of disrespect in her
3: culture. Okay. <laughs> like- <laughs>
2: This is just so fucking crazy. I mean, I get, okay, so I get you know. it. You're super conservative or whatever, and you don't want her breasts mm. on you. But just don't take the fucking part, or I, I guess I don't. I know. Like, you know it's going to be in there.
3: And the funny part is that despite these statements, two of my sources described instances of Cavizel's behavior as sexual harassment. And all of them called this behavior around women on set inappropriate. One described an instance in which Caviezel told a female coworker that she could cheer him up by, quote, doing a little dance in that cheerleader costume you had, because she was an ex-cheerleader, after she expressed concern over his father, who was ill at the time. There was another story that everyone told me where he, he was working with a woman who was quite a bit shorter than him, and he hugged her all the way around no. so that his hands were on her side boobs no fucking shit and uh, she was like yeah i mean she the, the the worst part about talking to people who work on set is they were all like oh yeah no like he was not at all like he was just one of the many who tried to grope me on set or yeah. like it feels like sexual predation on set is just like a totally almost like that was more normal than the rest of uh, what they were describing
2: psychopaths go into the border control and, and they become ICE guys and they become cops and people who want to get away with sexual crimes go to fucking Hollywood <laughs> because it, mm-hmm. it is an environment yeah. in which no once you get to a certain position of power, mm-hmm. no one says no to anything. You get to just do whatever.
3: Yeah, this kind of fits with the broader Me Too stuff. I mean, people, yeah. the people telling me about this, they would talk about their experiences with Me Too around this other weird thing that was Jim Caviezel. And so they would constantly just because of how fucked up the situations are say, well, you know, so he wasn't that bad. Like, you know, there were worse guys, you know. I've worked with way worse. They would tell me that every single one of them told me that.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just standard. I mean, I, I you know, we all knew about Cosby and we knew about Weinstein years ago. Like, there's a reason that Cosby was outed by a guy on stage just being a comedian talking off the top of his head, because everybody fucking knew about it. Like, we know about all these people.
3: Yeah, which is, you know, makes it just so much harder to extinguish things like QAnon. It's like, we yes. need to clean up this group of insane sexual predators at the top of the entertainment system. Yeah, I mean, how,
2: you know, you, you get rid of Kevin Spacey, but Kevin Spacey isn't in jail, right? I mean, they're, no. it's, it's a problem. they the Q shit all comes from these grains of truth, and then they turn it into complete fucking madness. This is what, what happens with all mm-hmm. conspiracy theories. There are, the Epstein shit, you know, it, it there was something there, and now it's like, Boo, like it just goes to yeah. fucking madness.
3: Yeah, they get chronology wrong, they get specifics wrong, and, you know, they're almost always wrong. But every single time, you'll, you know, d- when I sit down with a person like that or talk to them, I try to bring up the things that are real because that's like our only hope of bridging reality again is to be like, no, 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 the world is really fucked up. Like, you're right about the general feeling you have. yeah Now let's look at, you know, why Satan doesn't play a role in it. Right. When it came to race, Jim's behavior was downright bizarre. All three sources told me that he would often see a stranger, judge their ethnicity... Often incorrectly, <laughs> and start speaking to them in a fake version of their supposed language with real words mixed in. No, what?
2: Oh what my god. What the fuck? No, <laughs> what
3: just happened? <laughs> that is The majority of the people he addressed this way were multi-generational American citizens who did not necessarily speak the language he was attempting to mimic. In one instance, an Asian American executive visited the set, and Jim walked directly up to him, pressed his hands together, and bowed, saying, ASO. No, 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 no. <laughs>
2: What in the fuck just happened? One source. He just went full Benny (laughs) Hill. Like, it's just grandpa brain. Insane. This is, where in the fuck is this person from? (laughs) Like, this is the crazy, it's like someone just took, emptied a brain out and and went, let's just put all the craziest dumb shit in here. And see what we can do yeah, with this. Yeah.
3: And that was an executive. That wasn't just like some rando on set. That was right. an executive who... <laughs> I mean, that's a person with power who then has to go
2: back and go, I guess we'll, I guess we'll keep him on the show because he yeah, makes us money. It. But man, he's fucking crazy racist in a way that I've never experienced. <laughs> one,
3: one source told me, quote, he'd see black people start talking with a black scent, like all that stuff. Just no. exhausting.
2: I, now I, I just want to be his assistant for a couple yeah, of weeks. Yeah, give you some access to him. <laughs> <laughs> just, just to be around <laughs> it and watch it going yeah. on. Uh, just because
3: it's, it's. I mean, w- this is cartoonishly yeah, yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and Jim's issues with black people did not stop there. According to one source, he protested a scripted romance he was supposed to have with a main character played by a black woman, arguing in a production meeting that quote, "People shouldn't have interracial relationships." This was, in the words of my, um, my sources. And uh, one of my sources explained he came in and basically shut that down which completely destroyed her character which was hard for her because she just became there to spout exposition. So he basically ruined her character. Jesus
2: Christ, man. But he but again, he doesn't give no, a shit about any Of course any not. other character or anybody outside yeah. of himself.
3: One time, Jim allegedly saw a white guy in the writers' room that he'd never noticed before and started speaking to him in fabricated German despite the man not being German. Okay,
2: guys, I'm going to
3: take off. Way. I can't <laughs> <laughs> ah, guten Tag, Steve. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh. Steve
4: can Schlinter- you
3: You're
2: so crazy that you just think every white guy knows German. Like that's how fucking insane you He's are. Like I can
3: recognize the Germanic blood flowing through your veins. In like, bro, I'm like Irish or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh fuck. A source described Jim arguing with a Chinese American woman who spoke fluent Mandarin after she informed him that his words were in fact not Mandarin. So he just argued with her, like, no, no, it's that's real. It's real. And she's like, No, no, I speak the language.
2: <laughs> yeah, I guess this this is to me is the fascinating yeah. part of what seems to be coming out here now. It's it's almost Tom Cruise and Trumpian. There seems to be a thing where he thinks he can bend reality mm-hmm. in a way. And and he's speaking gibberish, but he's like, no, I'm Jim Caviezel, uh, so everyone, you should understand this. I'm speaking mm-hmm. Mandarin.
3: Yeah,
1: He's like, sure, I, I learned Mandarin uh, while I was over uh, serving a, my second tour of duty in Iwo Jima. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I want to add a little complication to the whole Chinese thing, because Jim adopted with his wife three children of Chinese origins and at the time they had cancer so i mean he, so but, but but then on the other side after the incident where he bowed to the asian american executive he was confronted by some of the crew but he explained to them according to one source it's okay my adopted kids are chinese so so it's okay yeah, to go say Aso, yeah. to like some randomly some guy you've never met Jim's obsession with identifying Jewish people was accompanied by a pretty clear hatred for Islam as well. My sources described an incident in Washington D.C. where person of interest was filming on location, where Jim Caviezel wandered off set and joined an event organized by a group planning to burn a Quran. <laughs> The episode was actually documented by news outlet The DCist. Uh, Rachel Kurzius wrote in December of 2015. The now-deleted Facebook event instructed participants to, quote, be ready
1: for a Quran roast and called for people to come to the White House on Saturday to, quote, stand up against Islam and the Islamic immigration, which is illegally being implemented on our nation. No one was more ready than a group of counter-protesters. They shouted down the participants and surrounded them with sheets to prevent people from seeing them. They also stole the Quran. the group (laughs) planned to burn.
3: Owned. Destroyed, you fucking losers. Actor
1: Jim Caviezel, who was filming his CBS show, Person of Interest, outside the White House, made a cameo appearance as well. He got out of a van and walked over to see what was going on, says Matt Kirtland, the organizer of the counter-protest. He chose to insert himself, saying, quote, You are all wrong, I know Islam, Islam is evil, all the men want Sharia. Kirkland says that Caviezel said something in Farsi to a bystander, quote, as if to affirm that Islam is scary, and then walked away.
3: So again with the languages, he broke it to farce. Kirkland said,
1: <laughs> nice. said that the group didn't recognize the passion of the Christ actor until after he had already left. <laughs> the statements are completely fabricated. Martin D. Singer, an attorney for Cavial, wrote in a letter to DCist, quote, "Mr. Caviziel did not make the statements attributed to him, nor did he say anything like them. The claim that my client made the statements is an utter fabrication. Other protesters affirm Kirkland's account of the events. Jordan Denari was holding a sign that said, quote, I am Christian and I love the Quran, when she says Kavizil approached her, th- though she didn't realize who he was at the time. It was a tall man in a really nice suit who looked familiar, she says. He started talking about Sharia law and then told me to watch the movie The Stoning of Soraya M., which he said would tell me everything I need to know about Sharia. The film, which stars Kavizil, is about a woman in Iran sentenced to stoning under Sharia law. At one point, he started speaking in another language. I said, that's not Arabic, and he said, no, it's Farsi. She does not know what he said in Farsi. It's
3: because it wasn't Farsi.
1: Protester Tiana Trutna was standing nearby and also saw the exchange. He started speaking about Sharia law to Denari. He started speaking Farsi, and then he was pushed along by a handler, she recalls. It all happened really fast. A fourth protester who asked not to be named for fear of reprisals said that Caviezel, quote, was super intent on Sharia
2: and Islam being evil. I, I want to hear. I want to hear the Farsi that he's speaking. Mm-hmm, yeah. And, and I and I want to have on a a, a a linguistic expert and just have him talk <laughs> us through all of his just gibberish nonsense that he's project. because it's got to be like a porky pig version of what someone thinks Farsi is, right? It's just got to be so completely bananas.
1: Yeah. If you were to, like, confront, like, Jim Caviezel, be like, no, this, like, isn't... Far- like, he ar- they said he argued with the woman who said it wasn't Mandarin. He'd be like... No, that's impossible. I've I've I studied I studied Mandarin for years. I mean, I, I know like how like how far gone is this brain and and should it be studied uh, for generations to come? <laughs>
2: yes.
3: He's perfect for QAnon.
2: He has a deeply disturbing mental issue that is almost beyond my comprehension and I <laughs> yeah. and I think that part of it is that like we've all met liars and known liars in our lives. But when you get to be a movie star and do whatever you want, it crosses this plane that is inexplicable to someone who's just trying to understand it. It just doesn't make sense what's happening here.
3: One source explained, The only thing Jim doesn't discriminate against is discrimination. I don't think he should work again. It's not fair to everybody that is that has to work with him. So I thought that was a pretty fair assessment. And another source elaborated on Caviezel's ideology. Quote, There's a hate there. There's just a hatred and a fear of other of anybody who's not fitting that traditional straight, white, male, macho man mold.
2: I mean, he sounds like the exact... It's what we now know what fascists are, and where they come, mm-hmm. like, there, there is an angry stupidity within them mm. that is unparalleled, and it just wants mm-hmm. to fucking ruin everything that isn't them.
3: Mm. There's a belief that there's, yeah, cultural degeneration, which is exactly what Hitler thought. You know, it's, he, would, he was cleansing in his mind the culture... And these guys got end day uh, stuff mixed in with it. So it's, yeah. They, they, and they're, they're usually like recent converts. I mean, you know, his thing with the visionary or whatever, it's, this guy has like a fresh layer of religious extremism that's been recently applied. Monte Cristo right. was not that long ago. Anyways, um, so I inquired whether Jim's behavior was apparent to the showrunners and upper management, like you mentioned, Dave, and a source told me
2: Oh, yeah, everyone knew something was wrong with him. There's no way that stuff didn't make it. We had to talk to CBS Human Resources about him. Certainly, people knew about it at every level. The next show was supposed to be a role on CBS's SEAL Team 6. When it dropped that Jim was casting it, all of us started texting each other immediately because the dumbest thing you could do was cast Jim Caviezel as a fucking Navy SEAL. You'd (laughs) never hear the end of it because he already thinks he is one. And what they did when they were shooting the pilot, they just sent the dailies up to Moonves. They sent the dailies and were like, what am I supposed to do with this? So they replaced him. But we, (laughs) at least in terms of his performance, we moved heaven and earth to make his performance make... Some sort of sense, and there was an effort to protect him within the company. Yeah, there you go. There It is. Yeah,
3: I want. I want to see those dailies that they sent to Moonves that convinced him that Kavizil could not be a seal. I want to see Jim in the lost pilot for Seal Team Six. So bad.
2: It's fascinating that they that they were getting it straight to to him because usually yeah. that's really hard to do. Yeah. I mean, to get the, to get Moonves to look at the dailies and sit down and, and watch them like. He must have already had an inkling someone must have gotten to him and, yeah. and yeah. said, Les, this is, you know, you Th- got to watch is, this shit.
3: This is speculation, but the showrunner, uh, Jonah Nolan, uh, brother of Christopher Nolan, he was really exhausted by the issues over the five years of person of interest. So I wouldn't be surprised. Wow. If he himself was like, please get this yeah. to Moonvez before this guy embarks on another five-year span with a whole new crew like he's a fucking yeah. nightmare.
1: If anybody could, it would be one of the Nolan brothers. I mean, that makes sense. One
3: of the top yeah. guys. On September 10th, 2020, Caviezel appeared on Breitbart News Daily, a radio show, to promote Infidel, a 2020 movie produced by Dinesh D'Souza's D'Souza Media. <laughs> and directed by a conservative Iranian American called Cyrus Nowraste who has since of course converted to Christianity.
2: It's good to see. I was hoping this trio would come together and make
3: something. <laughs> yes, really so great. this is like this is coming out like almost at the same time as this QAnon movie and uh. even even the Baltimore-based Catholic Review which, you know, shares a faith with him, uh, has claimed the movie is incredibly Islamophobic. Here's from their review of the film written by Kurt Jensen. In dealing with religious
0: conflicts in Iran, it stereotypes Muslims as having beaky noses, scowling constantly, and being prone to wishing and committing violence on those who disrespect Islam. The impression writer-director Cyrus Nauriste's film leaves as a result is that of a bigoted fugue punctuating dog whistles with siren blasts. The plot revolves around Doug Rollins, Jim Caviezel), a Christian blogger whose wife, Liz... <laughs>
3: christian blogger. We need more christian blogger main oh, characters. Man. I mean, those are those <laughs> poor people. Let's get let's get fucking top hollywood roles for every bitch <laughs> shit who writes a washington post opinion piece where he's like, "I'm some young man on the plane said fuck." <laughs> a christian blogger whose wife
0: Liz works at the state department. Liz, we learn, had her faith shattered as a result of a car accident years ago. The couple has an Iranian friend, Hussein. But minutes into the drama, police arrive at Hussein's home, where he's found to be leading combination terror cell and recruiting center.
3: (laughs) Just their one Iranian friend.
0: (laughs) Soon thereafter, Doug sets off on a long-planned trip to Cairo to appear on a TV show. Despite Liz's warning, whatever you do, don't preach, Doug is undeterred. He proceeds to stare straight into the camera and tell the viewership, Jesus is God. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. For this presumed insult to Islam, Doug is abducted and tortured first by the Hezbollah in Lebanon, and later by Iranian terrorists, all of whom blame Jim for Hussein's arrest and believe both Jim and Liz work for the CIA. Liz travels to Iran to seek Jim's release, but is frustrated by an obtuse legal system. She also was violently attacked by men she trusted to help her. While continuing to struggle with her lack of belief, Liz finds safety with a small underground community of Christians led by women. (laughs) The movie is intended to reinforce existing ideas rather than change minds or explain in any detail how sectarian conflicts arise. Nuance is thus entirely absent, and thus the focus remains on extremism overcoming morality. The presence of political commentator and author Dinesh D'Souza among the executive producers helps set the tone, one more
3: compatible with agitprop
0: than effective evangelism.
3: But Breitbart Radio loves Jim. Here he is on the radio show promoting Infidel.
4: Right, welcome back to Breitbart News Daily. Very special guest on the line. Actor Jim Caviezel is with me. He's best known for playing Jesus Christ in The Passion of the Christ, but he's in a new movie out this coming week, Infidel, in theaters, believe it or not, September the 18th, directed by a guy named Cyrus Narasta, who I actually met a long time ago through Andrew Breitbart. You can check out more about the film at infidel911.com. Jim, it's really a treat to have you on. Hey, thank you very much. So the film is, it's really a a middle, Middle Eastern thriller. This is the type of thing that, you know, 10, 15 years ago, we used to get these on a routine basis, and now it seems like we don't get them at all. Uh, and I, I think we know why that is. I think it was, we've gone to a more politically correct age. And we particularly don't get any that focus on Christian persecution uh, in the Middle East, which is a rampant thing. And we cover this a lot at Breitbart day to day. It's a bold move being involved with a project like this. Well, when I was younger, um, you know, back in the
6: seventies, um, when we were in, in school, you know, we p- prayed for the uh, American hostages in Iran every day. You knew exactly what was going on in the media. Uh, maybe, maybe not the government, but the media, they, they did some good things. You know, they made it, uh, put a lot of pressure on the, uh, uh, you know, governments on their narrative to make sure that they were released. And you don't see that
3: today. Very, like you said, Dave, <laughs> bird-brained understanding of history. Like, I prayed for the Iranian thing that I could see on television in in the American suburbs or whatever. It's just...
2: Uh, it's just incredible. Like, the, the lack of knowledge of just... And that's a basic thing, you know. If you were alive through that, it was a big deal. But we all know what fucking happened there. Like he but mm-hmm. he's just created a completely different fictional version of it and then is somehow relating it to this.
3: I feel like Christian alt history is is an expanding genre. You know, there's yeah. like because the the culture's so cleaved, there's like a part that doesn't want to see any of the cultural products of the other side. And so you get these insanely these movies like, I don't know, Ben Shapiro's school shooter movie, uh, or this kind of stuff, or, I mean, even Passion of the Crisis kind of before its time. It's like, it was the first time that it was like, well, maybe we could get some, like, star power, we could get a guy like, you know, Mel Gibson to direct our propaganda, and it worked. Because people yeah. loved that movie, even though it was highly criticized. People watched it a lot. Yeah, and, uh, and they, made and a lot they of money. watched
2: the Left Behind films, and, you know, all that shit. Yes, yeah. Like-
1: yeah,
3: and Jake loves everything. Yeah. He loves it all. Well,
1: you know, we'll say, and then, uh, there are other creators who have figured out how to do it more intelligently, like Tyler Perry, who is essentially just doing sort of Christian morality plays. Yeah. You know, Christian morality plays, but he's not having like the Jews sucking the blood out, or, or you know, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, throwing stones at. G- yeah, I would say that that. A lot of movies uh, still fundamentally revolve around a you know sort of a, a Christian ideology of the world. Yeah, but, of course. But 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 it's, it's not, not enough. enough. It's not enough. And so you you know of course there are guys like Bell Gibson and Caviezel and th- whoever's directing this movie and the guy who's directing the the Tim Ballard movie that are like, no, we're going to like we're going to give the QAnon people what they like. And that's why he, after. Reading some of this stuff, like about infidel and all that shit, I am convinced more than ever that we are going to see representations of adrenochrome on screen in the Tim Ballard movie. Julian, I bet you five dollars. Uh, yeah.
3: Okay, I'll take the I'll take the bet, I bet yep. you
1: five dollars that we will yeah, see the like the extracting of adrenochrome in that film.
3: You're just doing wish fulfillment, but I'm I'm with you, dude. If It costs <laughs> me five bucks fl- to get that s- to happen. Then fine. No,
1: I don't want to see a popular QAnon movie starring a big, fairly mainstream actor. That's the last thing I want to see. I want the QAnon movies to remain on YouTube. You know, low production value. Uh, you know, recycled memes and stock footage. That's that's you know, they're 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 equally as harmful there. But you get the fucking big budget ones, and like then we're really in for it.
3: Well, speaking of blood. And the culpability of Jewish people. The end of the interview with Breitbart sees Kvizel announcing something very special. And this was in September of last year.
4: And the question every single person wants to know will there be a Passion of the Christ sequel? Mel Gibson just sent me the third
6: uh, picture of the third draft. It's coming. It's called the, pa- the Passion of the Christ, The Resurrection, I guess. Resurrection, The Passion of the Christ, Resurrection and um it's going to be the biggest film in world
3: history. It's going to be the biggest film in world history. So so they're actually
2: doing a sequel to Jesus and mm-hmm. it's he's he's back like it's literally Jesus yeah. is back. He's and then it they just mm-hmm. roll he's rolling out the in a world where
3: Jesus never
2: died.
3: <laughs> <do you> <laughs> of course, Jake would rewrite it to not actually respect the Catholic belief. Actually, in a world yeah. where Jesus died <laughs> and then was brought Better, back Jake. to life. So finish. we're finishing up the episode here. Just this February, Caviezel posted a photo of himself with Mel Gibson at a private viewing party for the Ballard biopic, Sound of Freedom, alongside its devoutly Catholic director, Alejandro Monteverde, whose previous works included the 2006 anti-abortion film, Bella, and the 2015 film, Little Boy, in which an eight-year-old boy is inspired by a Bible verse to grow his faith in order to bring his father back from war. What? Yeah. And it works. How does that work? His father comes back. (laughs) Well, God takes care of it.
2: Uh, yeah, don't
1: you know about God and what He could? <laughs> Come do? on, man! I didn't know. I didn't know
2: that. Yeah, I didn't know that could be a thing. That's for, well, that's then for free. there wouldn't be any people in war. Well, I guess that you would need.
3: Well, you have a, just a, war against like the infidels, of course. So you yeah, yeah. have to keep fighting that one, I guess. Jim also recently appeared in an Instagram photo with boxer turned QAnon influencer David Nino Rodriguez. That was just this Sunday, May sixteenth, and they were in Texas at some sort of barbecue of, of their like common friends' house. And they use the hashtag Sound of Freedom, so they're promoting that. It seems pretty clear that Jim Caviezel, despite his religious extremism and abject behavior on the job, has found a niche in the industry, acting in movies that cater to a growing category of whiny conservatives, convinced their ideology and faith are under attack. Although this is an unfortunate way for things to go, I am personally excited to see Jim star in Linwood's directorial debut, (laughs) The Passion of the Mole Children. In which Jesus personally clears the tunnels with a giant flamethrower mounted to a white Hummer.
2: Now we're talking. What do you
3: think, Dave? Dave, will you play Jesus in this? Please. Oh
2: my God, yes. I mean, <laughs> absolutely.
3: Yeah, we're. Go- I'm actually going to cast Jim Caviezel as an evil Jew, and I'm going to force him to wear like a prosthetic. <laughs> <laughs> Jim. You gotta eat this child, Jim. Jim, it's what it's what they would do. It's what the,
1: Jim. Look, uh, now uh, on nine eleven, some of the firefighters they crawled <laughs> into the basement and they ate the children. Uh ate so, the children, okay?
3: So. Heroically, um, D- Dave. I wanted to ask you now that you know all of this is behind us and we've explored all that information. You look a, l- a little hammered by it. <laughs> I understand that. Do you have any impressions? I'm
2: always amazed at how much Hollywood just astounds me by what it allows human beings to get away with. There's a part of me that like, okay, I get it. Like there's, there's Harvey Weinstein raping women and there's Bill Cosby raping women. And it's like, well, that's sort of gone on forever. The the men protecting men are just powerful people protecting powerful people to get away with sex crimes. That's just, that's been around forever. But, but this kind of shit, Harvey Weinstein is a powerful individual. Bill Cosby is a powerful individual. Cavizel is not. No, mm-hmm. he's a fucking dime a dozen actor that doesn't mean shit. He literally could be replaced by thousands of fucking actors, and nobody would fucking know.
3: Well, they would know their lines, so they would recognize the difference. <laughs> <laughs> but this motherfucker gets to keep fucking going. Yeah,
2: and it and it's just, and again, Jim Caviezel is a product of a system that allowed him to exist, and quite frankly, make maybe thousands of people uncomfortable. Yeah. Deeply uncomfortable. And then also, I am also wondering, having read this whole thing, what fucking crimes has this guy committed that we don't know about?
3: Yeah. How many people are sitting on stories just like this or worse? So uh, this guy is really,
2: like uh, of the people that I've known in Hollywood and heard about, this guy is uh, a, a level of disturbing that I, I just I have a real hard time wrapping my brain around. But then, again, that always comes down with these Q people. It's just so fucking hard to get in
3: there and be like... How is this happening? What they've means by that is right into your local studios. We've got Infidel coming out. We've got Sound of Freedom. <laughs> we got the second. Jesus won. Everybody right in, in big Christian letterhead, and let's get this fucking going. And keep in mind, everyone I interviewed almost uh, uh, or consistently brought up that this was not the worst guy at all, like that there were other people that were way worse than him throughout their career. So we're not just dealing with a red flag here on Caviezel. We're dealing with a red flag on the fact that Kavizel is like nowhere near their worst experience, especially in the area of sexual predation. Right. So, I
2: mean, look at the guy who who didn't hire him on a show. Where's he now? Well, he's he's fucking gone for sexually harassing women for for years, right? Moonbase. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and again, this goes back to the grain of truth in in Q is is correct. Like there is there are people that are just protecting each other and have each other's backs. I just feel like you, you hear a story like this and you just go, no, nobody cares about anything in Hollywood. There's no there's no morality. Nobody is actually protecting anyone. It's just all these sort of monsters out there because, yeah, there are worse people out there. There's, yeah. I, I think for me, I can wrap my head around worse people. I, I know what a rapist is. I I have an understanding of what that
3: guy is fucking doing. It's power and it's brutality and it's but what the fuck is this person? I think that this is maybe what separates him from a lot of these predators is that he really seems to believe this shit. Yeah. Whereas the predators are just setting up circumstances in which they can, you know, act out what they want to act out. Their beliefs are non-existence, whatever will serve the the instance. Whereas Jim is an idiot who gets in in his own way in front of executives. He does stuff that's in Hollywood terms self-destructive like there's no gain to going a soul to like a fucking executive from uh the, the company that you're currently working on a project for it is he is a bit like maybe he maybe in a way he reveals all of these monsters because he's the dumb one that let all this stuff leak out because he's just so bad at um at volition or or just self-consciousness
2: so there's a possibility here that i just thought of which is i, I remember early on in my career i went to pitch a movie or something and, and everyone's like "Well, we gotta get Cameron Diaz for this and I was like is this, she doesn't seem right for it and they're like well she's one of six women that guarantee a profit and I was like that's so weird like she's not that huge and he's like yeah but she just connected internationally mm. we might not know Kavizel's number which is you know and they, and they attach a number to that like that person is guaranteed to bring in 100 million dollars on any film you put them in With his Christian background and the stuff he's been doing, he probably has a number associated with him Mm -hmm. in which they know that that's guaranteed any film he's in will turn that number of Bakasov's dollars out.
3: Yeah. And he's no victim. He's a multi-millionaire. From doing this, yeah, Uh, he was estimated at the very least years ago as having a net worth of twenty-five million dollars, and he also has people like Mel Gibson who made enough money that they can just kind of do their own project and keep playing the victim, like, oh, people don't want me to do this because I showed the crotchety Jews like celebrating, you know, Christ's demise in close-up because it was in one of the Gospels.
2: Yeah, uh, I. You want to hear a really fucked up Gibson story mm-hmm. that uh, Hell pla- yeah. plague? It's not that fucked up, but it plagues me to this day. Is I I was working mm-hmm. at Staples Center when I first moved here, and um, I worked in a suite. I was like a suite attendant guy, and Mel Gibson left his camera, his video camera, in the suite, and it, and I I grabbed it and chased him down and gave it to him. And when I handed it to him, he said. Oh, my God. I have, like, months and months of family home videos on this. Thank you.
1: Oh, my God. It would have been a horror movie. That footage would have looked like paranormal
3: activity. (laughs) Dave, thank you so much for joining us for this. Where can people check out your work?
2: Uh, the Dollop Of course my podcast I do with Gareth Reynolds And then I guess that's it I don't really have Anything else right now I'm, uh, you know.
3: People should follow you though Are you Dave Anthony On Twitter
2: Yeah I don't really I haven't been on Twitter In a while though Um
3: Oh, that's too bad. Uh, people, people are all vying for the experience of being blocked by you. <laughs> <laughs> How
2: many can you block? How many? I once looked and it was like over a hundred thousand, but that's because I have a I, I have a block <laughs> list for Nazis. But um, yes. Yeah, and I guess that's it. I'm on uh, I'm on Instagram. I. I do some stuff over there at Dave underscore
3: Anthony underscore. Perfect. Well, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for
2: having me. It's a great podcast.
3: I'd like to thank Ali Metzi for help with transcribing the interviews and the anonymous people who helped connect me to the sources in the first place. Finally, I'd like to thank the three people who generously shared their experiences with me. Thanks for listening to another episode of the QAnon Anonymous
0: podcast. Please go to patreon.com slash QAnon Anonymous and subscribe for five bucks a month and uh, get a whole second episode every week, plus access to our entire archive of premium episodes. When you subscribe, you help us stay advertising free and editorially independent. We usually stream twice a week at twitch.tv slash QanonAnonymous. For everything else, we have a website that's at
3: QAnonAnonymous.com. Listener, until next week, may the deep dish bless you and keep you. It's not a conspiracy, yeah, it's a fact.
6: And now, today's auto queue. All politicians that I've seen that are so corrupt right now, not all, but many of them, I should say. But, and I see it in the church. Oh my God, everywhere bishops, I'm a Roman Catholic bishops, done nothing top topic pastors, priests, doctors I mean they're just but there are a few phenomenal ones there are a few good coaches my dad played for one, John Wood at at UCLA but you don't hear about it in the media you hear about the corrupt ones you hear about, and there's a lot of evil going on in the world, but there are a few of us that are doing the right thing That's what my call was.